Hello, I'm David Marsland, and we have a lot of new listeners to The Leader. Thank you for choosing our news, commentary and analysis, and please do let others know about us too. You can share us through your podcast provider or let people know on social media. Use the hashtag TheLeaderPodcast. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. Another terror attack in London. How do we stop this becoming normal? It's no good just being shocked or repulsed, as the Prime Minister said he was, by the London Bridge attack last year. We need to know the details of what the plan is, and it's got to be a proper plan, not just a political plan, in order to make headlines. The Evening Standard's associate editor, Julian Glover, on the tough choices our free society has to make to keep people safe. And We all descend on the Savoy for a day of judging... And the room is very impressive. It's industry producers, casting directors. There are some actors on the panel as well. And we all give each nominee a long discussion around the table. What's it like being a BAFTA judge? We ask ES Magazine's editor-in-chief, Laura Weir, who was on the panel choosing the Rising Star Award given to top boys Michael Ward. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, how should we respond to another terror attack in London? Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hi there, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and across the Six Nations as Europe's elite go head-to-head in rugby's oldest international competition. Each week, we'll be looking at the QBE predictor, which forecasts the results of each round of matches. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe now and download wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thanks for listening. Not even 24 hours after a terror attack that made global headlines, Streatham High Street is quiet. Police tape closes off the area where Sudesh Aman was shot dead after stabbing two people. There are officers on guard, there are film crews and photographers taking their pictures. But outside the cordon, the shops are open, the people are back on the pavements. 
This part of South London seems to have shrugged off what is the second terror-related incident in London in three months. It can happen anywhere in the world. It can happen in any town, in any city. I did have to make sure walking home, saying to the kids, you know, what would you do if something happened? And they both said, we, we run, we hide and we tell. They've been taught that at school. Um, their kids growing up in a city, and that sadly is a factor for modern life. Just a normal South London altercation. Some boys having a fight. Didn't really think much of it. And then a loud shout. I live around here. <laughs> it's like, it didn't surprise me, to be honest. How do we stop this becoming normal? Our editorial column says it starts with tougher laws. Sadly, incidents such as this have become familiar. So has the standard national response. Immediately after, there is a huge concern for the victims and their families. Then there is justified praise for the police and other emergency services. Next, we find out more about the person who carried out the attack and stories of people who tried to stop it. Soon after that, a row starts about whether terror laws should change, with ministers promising dramatic action and pressure groups and liberal lawyers warning against a knee-jerk response. The Prime Minister says he will announce fundamental changes to the system for dealing with those convicted of terrorism offences. The question that everybody has about the individual uh, concerned is what was he doing out uh, on automatic early release and why was there no system of scrutiny, uh, no parole system uh, to check whether he was really a suitable candidate uh, for automatic uh, early release and that is the, a, a very complex legal question. So far, so familiar. But this time something is different. The Prime Minister is right that the law and the way it is applied is part of the problem and it needs to change. He said this before, of course, but that was during a general election. Now he is firmly in charge and it is his responsibility not just to criticise what he has inherited but set out a better way of doing things. So what is it? Our associate editor, Julian Glover, is here. Julian, what's the answer to that question? What is it we need to do now? Well, the person who's going to tell us is the Prime Minister, because last year he said he was shocked by the idea of early release, and who wouldn't be when you hear that somebody the police genuinely thought was a threat was out on the streets whilst being monitored? That, that can't be the right situation. But it's no good just being shocked or repulsed, as the Prime Minister said he was, by the London Bridge attack last year. We need to know the details of what the plan is, and it's got to be a proper plan, not just a political plan, in order to make headlines. And that's a big test for the government. It's almost... I, I feel it's almost like a paralysis over policy. We talk about how London immediately picks itself up and moves on from terrorism, and we talk about the bravery of the people who are there and of the city entirely. But when it comes down to changing policy... What's holding everything up, Julian? Well, it comes to a really difficult thing, which is, are people being sentenced as a punishment for the crime? Or is prison and the system there to prevent people causing crimes? That's a very different thing. Detaining people to stop people doing something is a different legal principle to locking them up because of what they've done and they've been convicted. And we do in law have all sorts of ways of detaining people, stopping people from doing harm. Uh, partly to do with terror, but not only to do with terror. There are clearly powers there. But it's very difficult to decide who are those people that you're going to 
you're going to put away. You can't put away everybody. Um, people who are convicted of something have the right for redemption. They have a sentence. They serve that sentence. The question clearly is, should they be re released early? Well, that often happens in, 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 in things in law. Clearly, in this case, and the London Bridge case, that was not the right thing to have done. But we need a way of trying to work with people, help people escape radicalization, as it's called, a rather polite term for falling into a kind of hateful evil that leads to leads to terrible things on the streets that we've just seen. We need a way to help people out of that and to do something else with their lives. That's that's how a fair society works. It's getting that balance right that's tricky. It's very easy to say de-radicalization isn't working when places it clearly isn't. But that doesn't make it simple to come up with something else in its place. And there are issues inside prison as well. The newspaper's writing today about some of the problems of indoctrination, of people going into prison and becoming radicalised. How do we solve that problem? And that's a huge issue because prisons aren't the place to solve this all the time. Prisons are the place that causes this. We've got a huge amount of radicalization, a lot of Islamic uh, ideas spread through prison. Of course, not all terrorism is Islamic. We have far-right terrorism growing in Britain as well, a big threat too. Um, in the case of the people who've been released early, the numbers are relatively small. Last year, the Prime Minister said it was 74. He felt, well, we clearly seem to know about one of those but even monitoring 74 people out on the streets pretty difficult thing to do how prisons change is almost beyond any single piece of expert advice any single prime minister's speech or any single new law but there's got to be a sense that they're not just there to lock people up and hide them away and hope that nothing happens when they're thrown out. There has got to be a much clearer policy to try and to run them properly. Rory Stewart, who was the prisons minister until last year, worked very hard with the prison service to say that you can be different, you can lead this, that prison governors and prison staff aren't just coping with chaos. They actually can change the situation. They can cut violence in prison. They can change the way that people are treated and the way people behave and what happens when they come out. And he's spoken quite passionately about that since the attack in Streatham in the last 24 hours as well. And we have extensive coverage and analysis of the Streatham terrorism incident in the newspaper and online at standard.co.uk. Next. The lead up to that day is a lot of screenings. I think I went to, you know, I saw 24 different films, I think. The inside story of how a BAFTA winner is chosen with awards judge and ES Magazine editor-in-chief, Laura Weir. We can all argue over who won what at the BAFTAs. Is 1917 really the best film? Really? But how is that decided in the first place? Well, ES Magazine's editor-in-chief, Laura Weir, is one of those people who makes those decisions behind closed doors. She was on the panel that decided on the shortlist for the EE Rising Star Award, won by Top Boy and Blue Stories' Michael Ward, after a public vote. And she's here to reveal the secrets. But before we go into that, Laura, we saw Michael holding back tears as he accepted his award. It clearly meant a lot to him. Was he the right choice? I think he was absolutely the right choice. Um, on the judging day, we all felt very strongly that he was a fantastic contender. And I think seeing his acceptance speech last night, 
the purpose of the Rising Star Award is really to back someone who needs that leg up, someone who could really benefit from the support that comes alongside with winning the Rising Star Award. Um, and as we've seen in the past, those people go on to do great things. And I think that Michael was at the crucial point in his career where it could be really valuable to him. Some of the other nominations for that award had already been backed by big studios, for example. And I think Michael's at that brilliant tipping point in his career where this could really make a difference um, and I think he knew that last night and I think the emotion was in entirely real and it was beautiful to see um, and actually on the night I met his his mother and uh, she was equally as moved. So Michael has done Blue Story which was a good hit for him lots of great reputation lots of great critical success for that he's done Top Boy which is another good hit working well on Netflix could this move him into the mainstream? Is that the sort of thing you were looking at? Well, I think when you look at you know previous winners, which you know include people like James McAvoy, um, you see that this really does help kind of move them into the next step. And whether that you know, depending on the direction he, that he wants to take with his career, whether he remains a reasonably independent actor or whether he wants to cross into kind of more mainstream television work. It, it, it depends on kind of where he wants to go, but certainly this award will take him into household name territory. We only need to, to think about how that was broadcast into so many homes last night. You know, people will now, more people will now know who he is, what he is capable of, and uh, what a talented actor he is. I'm really interested in that judging process. What was it like whittling it down to, to just one person? Were there fights, Laura? So the, the process itself, uh, it's a day of judging. The lead up to that day is a lot of screenings. I think I went to, you know, I saw 24 different films, I think, um, in various screening rooms across the capital. Um, also watched some at home as well. Um, we all descend on the Savoy for a day of judging. And the room is very impressive. It's industry producers, casting directors, journalists, there are some actors on the panel as well. And we all give each nominee a long discussion around the table. So and everyone says their point. Everyone talks about their work and how they felt. And then we all make our own pitch for the top five. Then that's whittled down to the final top five, which is then put to the public vote. So this was the only award um, of the evening that's put out to the public vote. So that's why I think it also meant such a great deal to Michael as well, because it's not only that sort of industry peer recognition, it's also the recognition of, of the general public as well. Interesting that he won because BAFTA has been involved in a diversity route, as other award ceremonies are. The, the Oscars uh, has had a lot of policy in the last few years about, you know, BAME actors, actresses, directors and crew being included. Good that Michael Ward, as a black actor, won this one, but does BAFTA know or does BAFTA appreciate that it has a diversity controversy around it? It absolutely does appreciate it. I mean, the chairwoman last night, her, her speech was mainly focused around that diversity issue and the work to be done in that space. I think the Rising Star Award um, historically has a very good track record of being um, BAME inclusive and representing the diversity, the creativity and diversity that we see in, in the industry. Um, I think that BAFTA has uh, is about to, well, has already started to con conduct a, a wide review um, on the process to make sure that the right steps are being taken to, to making sure that we move forward in the right direction. And I think Joaquin Phoenix put it brilliantly as well last night in his speech. And certainly the mood in the room was that everyone had recognised that there was a long way to go and the journey had to start 
yesterday rather than tomorrow. Give me some backstage gossip, Laura. What have we got? What can you reveal? So the I mean, the highlight for me was watching everyone arrive and seeing how um, all of those massive A-lister stars, you know, they're actually quite, <laughs> I know it sounds really boring, but they're quite normal people. Take Renee Zellweger taking a selfie with friends from the front row. Um, Margot Robbie and Bradley Cooper kind of sharing an in-joke. And you could see that kind of all unfolding from, from where I was sitting. Um, there seems to be a great deal of camaraderie among them, and I think that's kind of something I always forget, that they've often, these guys, they've been on sets with each other for months, weeks, you know, a really long time, so they know each other pretty well lots of high-fiving going on among people you just wouldn't expect when they when they win their awards um Adam Driver is very very tall I can uh I can reveal um he is absolutely huge and I saw him very very up close last night um with his beautiful partner um so yeah there was a, a really good mood in the room actually And that's The Leader. Subscribe through your podcast provider and share us with your friends. We're back tomorrow at 4pm.